welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. You are the heroes that this culture is desiring to have manifest right in front of their eyes. They might not say it. They might not tell you. They might not be able to express it. But I can tell you that this culture, this society is desperate for authentic godly heroes. And God bless you that you have responded to him and said, here I am, Lord, send me. That'd be a great place for everybody to say amen. amen. You're those people. I believe it. God believes it. You need to believe it. Because I know a bunch of you are like, I'm not a hero. I make a lot of mistakes. Okay. Hero in training. How's that? You just got a short cape. Amen. Some people got longer capes than others, but you still got a cape. Amen. We are fighting for truth, for justice, and for the kingdom way. Amen. We're going to fly into situations with our chest sticking out, take all the bullets and, and deflect them, and, and rescue people, the downtrodden, the hurt, the... Uh, the abused, the oppressed of this society and carry them into safety. Psalm 16.3 says, the godly people in the land, those are my true heroes. God has already called you heroes. In the Old Testament, godliness was a choice based upon your actions. In the New Testament, godliness is your divine nature. You are godly on the inside. You need to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. In the Old Testament, they had to work in their salvation. They had to work into righteousness. They had to work into godliness. In the New Testament, we are godly in our spirit, and we need to work that out. It's a whole lot easier of a process to get something that you already possess out of you than it is to go try to find something you don't have. This is of incredible importance. This is part of my life message on the finished work of Christ because if Christ has finished it and deposited it on the inside now, the work is getting it out. Instead of what most of Christianity is doing, which is they're asking God to do something for them, or they're asking for something to be uh, created, accomplished on their behalf, then they can go and get it. Yeah. God, please give it to me. God, please do it for me. God, please, and he's, his response to that is, I have, his name is Christ. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I've deposited all of that on the inside of you. Now you have to work that out. You are complete in him. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says that you, that he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are, not will be, you are complete in him. And you just get that, and you are off and running. I, I've known about that verse for 42 years, and I ain't got it all figured out yet. So I'm not saying that you're going to, you're just, it's just going to, the light's going to go off and you're going to be there. But at least start the trek. You are complete. There is nothing missing. Next verse, sis. There is nothing missing. Nothing. God didn't make you broke. God didn't leave out a part. He, he didn't forget about the one thing. Oh, I didn't know they were going to go through that situation in life. Quick, Jesus. Get them the thing they need. And you, the reason I'm, I'm highlighting this right now, I believe that the Holy Spirit has his finger on this, is because I listen to a lot of people's prayers. And this is the opposite of most people's prayers. God, please do this. God, please give me. God, please help. That is contrary, for the most part, to this verse. God has completed you on the inside. Now, God, help me work it out. God, help me have revelation. God, help me have understanding. I'm super good with all that. But God, heal me. God, bless me. God, fix my finances. God, fix my heart. God, fix my wife. Sorry. Kay's more complete than I am. Have you met her? Psalm 16.3, the godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. God is pleased, pleased with your godliness. You, you are not going to hear that in very many churches. The, the gospel in many churches, which the word gospel means good news, is the bad news in most pulpits. The bad news of you suck. And then those same people are the ones that carry that message into their world. And they complain about everything and everything that everybody else is doing is wrong and everything the government is doing is wrong and everything that my pastor is doing is wrong and everything, because they're wrong. What you have, you give away. If you believe that God is always telling you or always inferring to you that everything you're doing, everything you're thinking, every, every, the way you're living is wrong, you're going to carry that message into other people's lives. And that's why some of you, you, hopefully this is landing on some of you right now because this might help you figure out why not a whole lot of people really want to hear your opinion on stuff. That was way too quiet. The gospel is what's right about you. That's good news. Bad news is you're doing everything wrong. Good news is Jesus did everything right. Trust him. 
Not yeah, no, this ain't landing. It's all right. We got the rest of our lives together. For those of you that are <laughs> that are bold enough to stick it out, Colossians one twenty seven. The hero, the godly hero, that the Father takes great pleasure in is already on the inside of you. I know it's mysterious. It was mysterious to Paul. It was mysterious for 4,000 years of Old Testament. That's why they killed Jesus. That's why most of the church rejects this message. It's still mysterious. God did this because he wanted you, Gentiles, beloved, to understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. Wonderful and glorious. Wonderful and glorious. Check out the adjectives. Not, not painful, not confusing, not uh, disheartening. Wonderful, glorious mystery. And that mystery is that Christ lives, present tense, active. The same Christ that worked with the Father and the Holy Spirit to create the universe, to part the Red Sea, to to calm the storms, to heal the leper, to raise the dead, that same Christ lives in you. Lives. Lives in you. Not taking a nap in you. Not in a coma in you. Not hiding in some recessed corner in you. Lives in you. He, he wants to be there. Think about this, you're God. You could have any mansion on any planet, in any galaxy, in any part of the universe. And he chose your heart. That's the mansion that God wanted to live in. And sometimes in people's self-deprecating way, they call their mansion a shack. God doesn't live in a shack. He's God. He's living in that beautiful thing that's called your heart. And he chose. He chose to be there. In fact, he wanted to be there before you wanted him to be there. You had to ask him in. And he lives in you. And he is your hope of sharing in God's glory. Not only is he living in you, but he's also stirring up your hope. You ever heard someone say, don't get your hopes up? <laughs> I'm not telling you to, to get feisty with them, but get a little feisty with them. Get your hopes up. We, we, have, we have, I think we have done a bad job of overcorrecting into the faith world where we've made everything about faith and we've, and we've lost the power of hope. Hope is incredible. Incredibly important. Incredibly important. And faith is incredibly important. But don't ever do that thing where you make one part of the kingdom this pronounced part. All of the kingdom is necessary. The full gospel is necessary for you to have the full good news. Courage is contagious. A quote that is common today in some of the circles I run in is, 
that courage breeds courage. If you are not a courageous person, I would, I would exhort you to check your environment. Slaves make slaves. Heroes make heroes. Courage is contagious. If you are not courageous about things in your life, it's probably because nobody's breeding it on you. Discipleship. Everything comes back to discipleship. Courage is contagious. This is Billy Graham. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. Man, what an incredibly powerful way to state that. The most accepted sin in the Americanized Christian in the world today, in my opinion, is a four-letter cuss word. And uh, I don't say this to, to try to be flamboyant or uh, to try to do that shock jock stuff that, that like radio or whatever. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to use the, the disgusting aspect of, of cussing or swearing. And those of you that know me, I hate it. I have never said in, in 27 years now, I haven't said a cuss word or a swear word. Not accidentally when I hit my thumb, not, not. There's been a few times I've had to use those words in uh, giving depositions and, and doing uh, things where I had to repeat other people, but I have never slipped the tongue. It's filth. It's filth. And I'm not going to let my tongue be used by the enemy in that way. And I'm not picking on anybody if that's your thing. But I'm saying that I'm not using this four-letter F-word thing to, to shock people like, oh, Steve's on the verge of wanting us to think about. No. I'm, I'm saying that because to me, this is what this has. You would not, I don't care what you do to me, what you threaten with me. I won't cuss. I won't do it. Sorry. And I, and I hope to reverberate this into your heart. That if I'm calling it this, so I, obviously I think this speaks more to me than some people because some people can just pop off an F word and it ain't no big deal. That should be a huge deal to you. It should be huge that the, very, the only thing that you actually can have to release power into this world is words. Have you ever thought why the human race the part of God's creation, there's only one part of God's creation that has the ability to do words, is the human experience. It's, it's the people made in the image of God. Now you know why the enemy wants you to use your tongue to accomplish his kingdom. Because God gave you that tongue and those words to accomplish his kingdom. So when I say these things, I'm not trying to... To bring in kind of some kind of shock, I'm telling you, this is coming out of the heart of me. As much as I hate cuss words and swearing, 
and the granddaddy of all of them, the F word. That's why I'm using this as a designator because it is totally acceptable. Not only is it acceptable in Christianity today to cuss, it's acceptable in Christianity today to fear. And they both should be atrocious. And I know people are like, remember when I said about that balance thing at the very beginning and how proud I was of everybody? This is a good chance for everybody to remember that. He's picking on cussing, and I like it. You need to not. Fear wants to destroy you. And you give it power by giving it your words and by giving it your submission. When fear comes and says, you better or else. And you do. You have yielded authority to fear. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Wherever you find your submission, you will find your allegiance. You submit to sin, fear, you will find your allegiance in sin and fear. You submit to righteousness and God, you will find your allegiance in righteousness and God. And this is, this is so powerful, so opportunistic. <sighs> I want to I wanna stay there. Once I, once I open up Romans 6, it's almost like, oh, I see. If I'm like, okay, first one. But it'll take, it'll take a couple hours, and, and you guys don't want to do that because you want to eat your sugar. <laughs> the second, and, and note, I actually changed this a little bit this morning because I was, I was meditating on it, and I think I've said it just a little bit wrong in previous messages. The most accepted sin in the Americanized Christian today is the four-letter F-word, fear. And then I said, and, and I, I conjuncted them, and the Holy Spirit actually, when I was going, uh, when I was meditating, I spent about three hours this morning meditating on these things, and he, he basically told me I said it wrong. He's, the most accepted sin is fear. But the most dangerous four-letter cuss word is feel. Note, note the change. Pervasive accepted fear. But dangerous. Dangerous feel. Because feel can lead you into anything. Feel leads you into fear. Feel will lead you into the depths of sin that many people that I know cannot get out of. Feel will lead you to addictions. And addictions can take you out of Christianity as easy as anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? People I know that at one point in their life, they were wheels off, hair on fire for the Lord. And then an addiction sneaked up on them. 
They had it under control. You know you have an addiction under control until you don't? That is how the enemy whispers that. You got this. You can handle this. You're good. Whenever the enemy is uh, um, encouraging yourself, beware. Because he's not the encourager. He's the accuser of the brethren. So when he's coming to you and saying, you're strong enough, you can handle this, you can watch these things, and it won't affect you, you're such a great Christian. Note to self, when the enemy is telling you how great of a Christian you are and encouraging you to do stuff, probably not the direction you want to go. Probably not. Amen. The, remember how Satan trick, uh, tried to trick Jesus, tried to tempt Jesus. Well, you're God. You can make rocks into, into bread. You should just do it. Why was that a temptation? Because he could. He could make rocks into bread. Jesus was the one that literally made manna out of nothing. He is the one that, with the Father, released manna onto the children of Israel for 40 years. Satan tempted him with stuff that he could do. You think he ain't going to do you the same way? The difference is, is that his temptation was to prove to Satan something, whereas manna was to give away the heart of God. It was the heart that was different. The most dangerous four-letter F word is feel. I've actually put it on, this is just me personally, you don't have to do this, I'm not even asking or telling anybody to do this, but I've actually put a guard on my mouth that if I hear me say feel, I will either correct it or I will make sure that I explain to whoever I'm talking to that I'm talking about the right kind of feel because there is a right kind of feel and, and I know that all of you understand that. But I've, I've, I'm actually trying to even get it out of my vocabulary. I want to use sense where we use the godly term feel. Like, I feel the Lord is leading me to do this. That's a godly way of using the word feel. But it's still feel. And it can kind of trick your heart into thinking that the Holy Spirit is something that you feel. Well, I got goosebumps. This must be the Holy Spirit. Or it's cold. And, and the fact that some people don't know the difference, that, that's, the, that's the, the irritating part. And just like what Stacy was saying to more, God bless her for uh, being authentic. There are so many times that I know that people think, like, I know that God is leading. This is God. Didn't you see how the stars fell out of the sky and the angels played and there was pixie dust and the wind went just the right direction and, just the, and it blew my cape? This has to be God. Or it's not. You know who the God of the natural world is? Satan. If you're looking for signs in the natural to prove God, you're going to prove God, but it's going to be little G God, not big G God. This, man, I tell you what, that is a mouthful right there. If you get that, if that's the only takeaway, your life is radically changed. Because so many people are looking for God to wet their fleece or dry their fleece. If my fleece gets wet, it's God. If my fleece gets dry, it's God. If your fleece is telling you who God is, you're being fleeced. 
Courageous people face and defeat personal fear. You want to exercise, work out courage, find something that is trying to tempt you to fear and punch it in the face. Remember, we don't wrestle against flesh. Here I am balancing. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Don't go out of here and punch someone in the face. Say, hey, hey my pastor told me to. <laughs> Courageous people face and defeat personal fear. Heroes face and defeat the fear that's affecting other people. You cannot be, you cannot be victorious for others until you are personally victorious. Physician, heal thyself. Work on you before you work on other people. I said this to someone the other day. I have a, there's a young man that I, uh, he watches everything, so he'll know I'm talking about him. There's a young man that I disciple who's in the military, and this kid is just on fire for Jesus, and it so blesses me because he's, he is, he is all passion for the Lord. And so whenever we talk, it's just, it's refreshing to me. Because a lot of times as pastor, I got to like deal with problems. But this kid, he's just like, give me as much Jesus as you can in 45 minutes. And he's like, go. And I'm like, all right, hang on, cowboy. And he was really distraught the other day and he was messaging me and he's like, man, I got this friend. And he's, and he's saying that this Andrew Womack stuff is, is a cult and and, and all this healing stuff is, is uh, ultra, what's it called, hyper grace, hyper grace and, and all this stuff is dangerous, and he's got a friend who knows a friend who knows a friend who believed for healing and died. Shocking. And I, instead of doing that thing like I would normally do, which is like send him 30 scriptures, and, and where I said, I said, your friend, how much fruit does he have? How many people has he led to the Lord? How many people has he seen healed? How many, how many messages has he ministered and, and, and seen lives radically impacted? And we all know the answer, it's zero. All these critics, they always have zero fruit, but they're criticizing somebody else's fruit. I said, okay, the messages that I'm preaching are the finished work of Christ, the healing, the supernatural, the finished work, these things, Andrew's seen hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people's lives touched. All these other people, he used Todd White too. Todd White has seen tens of thousands of people healed. I've seen thousands of people healed, saved, delivered. I've seen marriages healed. I've seen, I have, there is fruit to these things that I'm saying. Your friend, how much fruit? And this was his, his, Answer to when I said that. I totally understand. Comma, thank you. If someone doesn't have fruit in their life, if someone has a terrible marriage and they're telling you how to fix your marriage, come on now, this is the world. This is the divorced, uh, mad, angry woman at work <laughs> telling you how terrible your husband is and you need to leave him. You, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. You've, you've seen it. If they do not have fruit in their marriage, 
Do not listen to them about marriage. If they don't have fruit in their parenting, if they don't have fruit in healing, if they don't have, whatever, if they ain't got no fruit there, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying you might want to balance out what they're saying to you. If it ain't working for them, okay, <laughs> that should have went over better. Because you're here, you're already more brave than the masses. It would be so easy to not be here right now. So easy. You could be sleeping in, eating donuts, drinking coffee in bed. I don't know what people do. <laughs> but whatever that is, you could easily do that. What's easy to do usually is the way the enemy destroys you. All heroes go on an epic quest where they engage in a fierce struggle against a stronger opponent only to become transformed as a result of the conflict. And I know that we probably get this in the grid of like Hollywood heroes that they have to do this epic quest and then they face their arch enemy at the end and then right when they're about to die, they do the one move and yay, they win and, and they're awesome. But I'm talking about biblical heroes. Biblical heroes do the same thing. They go on epic quests. God calls them to do something impossible. Something beyond the capacity for them to do it. If you are living your life, if I could secretly sneak into your bedroom tonight, and take the Holy Spirit out of you while you're sleeping, and you can wake up tomorrow, and your life is exactly the same way as it was the day before, then you are not living the life that God gave you. If you're not doing your life by the power of the Holy Spirit in supernatural ways, then you're not doing the life that he came to give you. You're doing your life in your strength. And I'm not condemning anybody. If that's where you're at, that's fine. But start to change it. If we're not doing a life by the Holy Spirit, then you're doing it by yourself. And anybody can do that. Heroes go on these epic quests. God comes and says, hey, I need you to do this thing for me. Sure, God, I'll do anything for you. Okay, here it is. It's really impossible. Uh, I don't know about that one. Can I have a possible one? Mm, no, I checked my files. All I have is impossible. Uh, well, what do I do? Hey, it's okay, though. I'll give you me to help you. All right. Let's do it. Epic quest. I'm calling you to do something impossible. I'm calling you to do something that's going to change the world, that's going to change history, that's going to affect Thousands of people or one person. And the only way that you're going to get it done is by my power. And you know how many people say no? Most. Because we want to be able to do stuff in our own strength. We want to lean onto our own understanding. We want to do the things that we're comfortable with. I only want to do the math that I know how to do.
Joseph was made stronger by the ordeal of betrayal, slavery, adulterous temptations, and the testing of his personal virtues. And because of those things, he was stronger. Because of those things, he was stronger. I, these things are, are tenuous because when you say statements like that, some people go into the ditch and they say, oh, okay, so then hard, bad, terrible stuff makes me better, so I'll go get hard, bad, terrible stuff in my life. No, 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 no. That's what we call stupid. <laughs> Let's not do that, beloved. But because you're drawing oxygen on this planet, you're going to have hard, bad, terrible stuff come at you. What do you do with it? It's not from God. It's not from God. But God is able to take anything that the enemy has sent to destroy you and use it for your good. He can show you how to get stronger through the tension that the enemy has brought into your life. God can teach you how to, how to resist and submit. And resist and submit. And resist and submit. And you'll get stronger. And the more you do it, and the more regular it is in your life, the more tone, the more fit you'll get in your spirit of learning when to resist and learning when to submit. Moses had to banish his self-will in a desert quest, and it took 40 years of discomfort and affliction. Now, if you study out the story, he didn't have to do that. Moses did not have to go spend 40 years eating dust he could have lived in the palace. And I, and I super encourage you to go get Andrew's message on the life of Moses, and he'll explain this in greater, greater detail than I ever possibly can. But I'm here to tell you, it wasn't God's intention for Moses to be in the wilderness 40 years. Moses had to do that. But because he did that, he grew. He developed godly spiritual calluses where he needed them. His epic quest was in a terrible place and lasted way too long, but he was victorious. And because of it, any, almost anybody on this planet, you mention the name Moses, and they will think about a hero. Moses was a hero. Moses accomplished things for God that very few people have ever accomplished. David was fashioned into a hero while facing the giant of fear that was tormenting his countrymen. But he was made a commander, a king in the caves, on the run hiding from the ones that were trying to destroy him with a terrible church. He had 300 broke, 
busted and disgusted guys that came and hung out with him. The scourges of earth. And David took the scourges in terrible circumstances and was able to fashion himself into a king and able to fashion those scourges into his 300 mighty men. He was made a hero facing the giant, but he was made a commander who made heroes during the course of those terrible times. Epic quest. Gideon had to defeat insecurity and then cut down his societal gods, which required him to face the wrath of all of his friends and family. And if he wouldn't have done it, he would not have become the hero that we know that the name Gideon is associated with. He had to go on an epic quest to do something that was bigger than himself in order to be the hero that even Hebrews chapter 11 talks about. Paul had to die on the road to Damascus and then journey into the deserts of Arabia to find his divine purpose. The famous Paul who wrote two-thirds of the epistles in our New Testament had to go on an epic quest in a desert after dying on the road to Damascus. Because we, 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 we look biblically into these things and we think like, oh, well, Saul, Christian tormentor, was going down the road to go kill Christians and then Jesus showed up and said, boo. And then, and then Saul turns into Paul and then he goes to the house 30 minutes later and starts writing epistles and changes the world. It didn't happen that way, y'all. Saul was hell-bent on killing Christians. And Jesus interrupted him and letting him know the interruption was, hey, I'm a Christian. <laughs> hey, maybe I need to change my plans. And that started a three-year solo journey with the Holy Spirit in a desert. It's amazing how these deserts come into play all the time in these people's lives. He had to go on an epic journey, an epic quest in intimacy with the Holy Spirit in order to become the man that all of us believe is a New Testament hero. The reason I'm bringing this up is because God is calling you to an epic quest. And I know you might be thinking, great, what desert do I got to go to, Pastor? It's not, it's not physically zip code stuff. It's where do you need to be willing to go in your own life, in your own heart, and tread into places and deal with stuff that has to be dealt with in such a radical way that it actually is an epic quest of your own life. We're talking massive change. Saul to Paul, Joseph from coat of many colors, super cool kid, to slave, prison. These, these are radical things that these these guys and these gals in the scriptures went through. They went on these epic quests and on the other side of them is where you and I see that, that godly hero that came out of the ashes of this terrible circumstance. 
This is Rahab, a hooker, who turns into the lineage of Jesus Christ and is talked about in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. Amen. Pushes through in this epic journey of changing everything, changing her religion, changing uh, her family, changing the entire course and direction of her life and doing the hard thing. And because of it, ends up in the lineage of David and Jesus. And what we think <clears throat> is that Christ wants to come into the average American life. And he just wants to make like this 0.5 degree shift. Hey, you're doing pretty good, sweetie. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're all right. Most people see in your Facebook profile, everything's good. I just want you just a little bit adjustment. The Lord didn't come in to give you 0.5 degrees. The Lord came in to kill you. Welcome to the cross. And in his grace and in his love and in his mercy, instead of killing you, he killed himself. And gave you the benefits of that death. So now, either change everything and go on the epic quest that he's called you that's only going to be able to be accomplished in his supernatural power or keep doing life your way 0.5 different. You doing it your way, 0.5 different, takes you to the wrong planet, just so you know. That's not the planet he wants you to go to. I'm going to, this is going to be tenuous. But I'm going to try to show an epic quest in the life of Nehemiah. I'm going to cover the entire book of Nehemiah in 25 minutes. Anybody taking bets? If we are given a choice between sparing ourselves from discomfort, tribulation, and suffering, or walking into the unknown led by the Spirit, unafraid of the quest, which one of those two do you think that a hero would choose? Is it better for you to be delivered from the process or to be delivered through the process? <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words of Nehemiah, son of that guy. In the month of that month, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah. So I questioned him about the remnant of the Jews who had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. I'm going to draw a very, very, very important parallel right here at the very beginning. At this time, the Jews were living in captivity in a nation that was not their own. Please see the parallels. As much as I love America, America is not the kingdom of God. Okay, I need more amens than that. Because I feel like I, sometimes I get this out of balance. If you think that America is your savior, you have missed the entire purpose of me drawing breath at this pulpit. Amen. They are in a nation that is not their nation in captivity to a system of government 
That is not what God intended for them to have. Please draw the parallels between America and the kingdom of God. As good as America is, it is not the kingdom of God. And we as citizens of this nation, as great as this nation is, and as much as I believe in it, and, and, and we're going to fix it. <laughs> Amen. Even fixed, it's not the kingdom of God, y'all. <laughs> Please get that. This is basically the parallel here is the remnant church that lives in America. I want you to see this. As we go through this, this is going to be really easy to draw conclusions into your life, to, to find actions and, and applications for, for major areas of your own life. If you draw this parallel, which is the remnant church living in America. And so here's a, here's a good, solid Christian, Nehemiah, who has this fella come that he trusts and says, and he's like, hey, how's the church doing? And his friend says, it's terrible. There, the Jerusalem, which is the center of the church, the walls are torn down. Who knows when the next enemy is going to come over and do terrible stuff to them, right? Like some portly governor wants to shut down our church and tell us that we can't meet. Who knows when the next thing's going to happen? Who knows when you're going to have to be required to get the 47th booster? Who, who knows when the masks are coming back? Who knows what they're going to do to your kids in school? Who knows when they're going to tell you that you got to transition from, from man to boy and then boy to girl? And Who knows what the next thing is? And Nehemiah's like, wait, what? Because he was doing his life. He was, he was living what God told him to do. He was a cupbearer at the palace, and so he was kind of in his own little bubble. Like Everything's good. He'd wake up every morning, sing some praise and worship, talk in tongues, go to work, and come home. Everything was good in Nehemiah's life. And then he gets this report about the church. Verse two, oh, verse three. And they told me the remnant who survived the exile are there in the province in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The difference between Nehemiah and the average Christian today is that when they know these terrible things are happening in their society or even happening in the church, they don't give a rip. You know what's waking people up to the great awakening right now? It's not all the wickedness. It's not all the terribleness. It's not all the tyrants and the oppression. What's waking them up is when something hits them. It's when they come for your paycheck. It's when they come for your arm with a needle. It's when they come for your children in your school. You don't care if it's somebody else's kids in somebody else's school. It's your kids all of a sudden. This shows you how selfish our society is. It's wheels off. Selfishness. The difference between Nehemiah and what's going on in our world today is that Nehemiah actually had an attachment to what the church was supposed to be. And it broke his heart to hear what was going on. 
Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant. Didn't we sing about faithful God? God will always be faithful. He will never fail. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed at all. Never. It's a God word. Never failed. Never failed. Never failed. And Nehemiah knew it. So why was there failure in Jerusalem? Why is there failure in the church? Why is there failure in your life? Why are things not the way that the promises of God says they should be? O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of loving devotion. Hasid is the word in the Hebrew. Man, I cannot get off track. With those who love him and keep his commandments. Ding, 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 ding. Now we have a winner, beloved. Now we know where the lack of failure for God's promises are in a person's life. This is directly out of Romans 8.28. God is able to work everything together for good. And most people stop. And they make God a liar. The rest of the verse is, God is able to work all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That statement that I made right there, I did an entire series on called Love and Purpose. It's on a USB back there. Please get it if that went over top of your head. I did 19 messages on one verse. Yeah, baby. I'll do them again. Loving devotion who, uh, with those who love him and keep his commandments. Uh, you keep going, Mary, because I'll lose track over here. Let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to hear the prayers that I, your servant, now pray before you this day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the church. How's that? The American church. I confess the sins that we... American church have committed against you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Notice that he conjoins the activities of his brothers to his own life, even though it's not personal. The failure of the American church might not be your personal failure, but we have failed. And I think it's time for us to take back what belongs. Yes. Remember, I pray, verse 8, the word that you commanded your servant Moses when you said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Whoop, somebody knew their Bible. This is, this is why Nehemiah was different. He knew his Bible. But if you return to me and keep my practice and my commands, commandments, then even if if your exiles have been banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. I don't care how far off track America or Christ, uh, the church in America is, you are never too far for God to bring you back to where you're supposed to be. And it starts here, beloved. It starts here. 
It's real easy to criticize the church as a whole. What are you doing in your local body? It starts there. Don't you dare talk about that church out there if you're not making this church in here right. Amen. They are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power and mighty hand. O Lord, may your ear be attentive to my prayer and to the prayers of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And Nehemiah went on behalf of his brethren to the king and asked for permission to go and fix the church. At that time, I was the cupbearer to the queen, to the king. So begins the divine epic quest of Nehemiah. His epic quest, fix the church. How can one man do it? How can one man change a church? How can one man change a nation? How can one man make history? He's just a cupbearer. He's just a little old nobody. He's just a government employee doing his job. How can this one guy do anything? Chapter two. Now in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence. Man, I'd love to preach on that. Those of you that got terrible jobs for terrible bosses. I wish you had the heart of Nehemiah to where you have never been sad in the presence of your terrible boss at your terrible job. So the king said to me, why is your face sad? Though you are not ill, how could this, how, uh, this could only be sadness of heart. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city, when the American church where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? What is your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Note that he prayed. You know how many people see a problem and they're like, I got it! Got it! Oh, I made a bigger mess. Yeah, maybe you should have prayed. Maybe you're not supposed to fix every problem for every person all the time. Amen? You know, I was outside and I seen this problem in the world. Pastor, we should start an entire branch of the church to solve this problem out there. You know what you need to do? You need to start a food pantry. Do you know there's already 14 of them in Stevenson County? Well, no, it doesn't matter because somebody's hungry somewhere. Okay, well, let's spend thousands of dollars and take 15, 20 people in the church and spend all week long dealing with this food pantry to, to feed the one hungry person who could go to 14 other food pantries. This is American church today. It's, it's invent a problem and then solve a problem and call it Jesus. It's what the government does all the time. I shouldn't have got off on that. So I prayed. And then I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city where my fathers are buried, so that I may rebuild it. Notice, he got permission. 
We don't do this for God. Well, God told me to go and, really? So you're going to be a rebel. Take that, everybody that's in leadership. I know what I'm doing. I'm out of here. You're not like Nehemiah. Then the king with the queen seated beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? Notice that the king and the queen love Nehemiah. Shocking that somebody in the secular world could so greatly appreciate a Christian working in their environment that they actually want them to be there. When I put in my resignation, my ball, I'd seen my boss cry for the first time in my life. How long will your journey take and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Notice he put parameters on what God asked him to do. He set a time. He's like, I'll be back. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may letters be given to me for the governors west of the Euphrates so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. Notice he's using the assets of the secular world to accomplish his divine mission. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God, not his eloquent speech, not his great character and virtue, not, not how pretty he was, notice that Nehemiah uniquely gave credit to where credit was actually due, which it was God that was moving in the heart of the king through him and for him. And because the gracious hand of God was upon me, the king granted my request. Then I went to the governors west of the Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent, an, had sent army officers and cavalry with me. <laughs> Amen. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official heard about this, they were deeply disturbed that someone had come to seek the well-being of the Israelites. <laughs> you know, the world isn't going to always recognize the fact that when you come to do good, you're doing good. I can say, obviously, with a lot of personal experience, that when I wanted to do the good thing of keeping the church open in the pandemic, scandemic, they didn't really see my good as being very good. And I had to make sure that I double-checked with my God that the good thing that I was doing wasn't good that Steve thought was good, but it was actually good that God thought was good. Because Steve good is not equal to God good. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in in Jerusalem. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned down. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a disgrace. And so he implored his enemies, don't be against me, be with me. Let's do it together. You know, we immediately see people that come in and they're contrary to us. We immediately see them as our mortal enemies and we're looking for sniper rifles to go and make sure that we deal with them. You know, the first thing you should do is you should implore your enemy to be your friend. You should play, pray for those that despitefully use you. You should make friends of your enemies. Not all enemies will be your friend. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. I also told them about the gracious hand of God upon me. 
God's with me, y'all. God's with me. You might not want to be against me. <laughs> you don't want to be fighting against somebody that God's fighting for. Man, I hope you got that. You better be real careful before you go fighting against your brother and your sister in the Lord because if God's on their side and you're fighting against them, oh boy. Let us start rebuilding, they replied. And they set their hands to this good work. Chapter three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump around in chapter three. I'm gonna read five verses and show you something that was very similar in chapter three. Verse three, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of whoever that is. They laid its beams and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Beams, doors, bolts, bars. Verse 6, the Jeshana gate was repaired by Joada, son of, dear Lord, these people need to be Americans. They laid its beams and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Beams, doors, bolts, and bars. Second time. Verse 13, the valley gate was repaired by all those people and they rebuilt it and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Verse 14, the dung gate was repaired by those two guys and that other friend of theirs and he rebuilt it and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Verse 15, the fountain gate was repaired by these people and he rebuilt it and roofed it. Roof and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Are you seeing a common theme here? They were building the walls. Most people, if, I, if you walked up to a, a fairly decent Christian, and you said, hey, what did Nehemiah did? Well, he built the walls. Do you know there's an entire chapter that has little to do with the walls and has much to do with beams, doors, bolts, and bars? Why? You can build all the walls you want, but if you got holes in them, Oh, Jesus, you know how many Christians got great walls with big holes? I've got this big, strong wall of righteousness, and I love TV. Oh, yep, nope, not a single amen. God bless you guys. Let, let's, let's go somewhere that you don't like. I've got this great, big, strong wall, and I love sugar. <laughs> Beams, doors, bolts, bars. Beams, you can probably imagine the framework of doors. You gotta have framework. The foundational doctrines and truths. This is why I incessantly repeat myself in, in things like the finished work of Christ and you're complete in him and, and the gospel being good news and, and righteousness through, through faith, ju uh, faith justification for righteousness and and all of these things, they need to be rebuilt, 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 because those are the foundations that the doors are always going to be hung on. You need the walls. The walls is getting born again. Congratulations, you're born again. You got walls. Jesus came and built the walls. But what are you going to do about the doors? You've got eyes. You've got ears. You've got a heart. You've got ways that people can get into your life. What are you going to do about the doorways? Beams is the first thing. If you have the strongest, most amazing door and you hang it on a terrible frame? Framework. 
And many people don't do this. They do not on purpose go and build the framework of doctrine and theology in their life that they need to build in order to have something strong to attach the doors to. Please do that. Here's a great time for me to put a commercial in for Doc Ryan. Go listen to his stuff. He's a theologian. He's going to help you with doctrine and theology. I don't agree with everything he says. You heard me say it. But he's doing a great thing for the body of Christ, a spirit-filled guy, building theology and doctrine into people's lives. We don't do this. We get our one refrigerator verse and we build our whole life around a refrigerator verse and then we wonder why the refrigerator is filled with sugar. Did it twice. Beams, foundations. Foundations in the new birth. Foundations in the apostles' doctrine is what it talks about in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Doors, Jesus. Jesus is the door. John chapter 10, he said, I am the door. Why is, Je why is that important? Because that means intimacy. You can't just have Jesus come in on the new birth and say, Wom, there you go, everything's great. And then you never have intimacy with him ever again. It has to be intimate all the time. You have to say, Jesus, should this come through the door? Yes. Jesus, should this come through the door? Oh, God, no. Okay, got it. Jesus, should this come out of my door? Yes. You're so sweet. You're just like me. Jesus, should this come out of my door? No. That's a four-letter F word. Don't you do it. Intimacy with Jesus. Doors. Bolts. The hinges on which the door swings. This is discipleship. This is discipleship. Jesus in our life is known and understood through us being discipled by someone who is already there, who's learning those things, who's been where you've been, who's gone through the situations that you've gone through. Jesus discipled the, his guys in the Father. That's what the door swings on. And then bars. That's locks. Locks, y'all. Your doors need locks. And I know this flies in the face of, of leftism, American brokenness, where we had open borders and anybody can come in anytime. We just found out how that worked when they sent some, some uh, illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard and they all freaked out because all of a sudden their sanctuary city, they went and piled those folks in a bus in 44 hours. They got rid of every single one of those people in their sanctuary city. Hypocrites and liars. Disgusting. Terrible. You need doors with locks. You sleep in a house that's locked, not because you hate people, but because you only want people to come in that you deem safe. Locks are opened with keys. Keys to the kingdom is what Jesus said that his doctrines were. Understanding the New Testament uh, truths that Jesus gave us. He said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Keys. We need to have his kingdom truths. Not to do another commercial, but we got an entire series back there called King and Kingdom. Understand the keys to the kingdom by getting one of the keys to the kingdom. That just <laughs> felt right in there. Chapter four. Oh, my Lord. I hope you guys didn't bet. Now when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and filled with indignation. Why would a good Christian not want you to be a super healthy Christian? 
I know, shocking that there might be people in your life that don't want you to succeed, that don't want you to have a great life. I, I know that nobody in here is probably believing this. I'm probably preaching this out there to the choir. But there's people that actually call themselves Christians that don't like you. Amen. They don't want you to succeed. They'll actually work against you. Shocking. It, it's, it's not unique to you, beloved. Please get this. It's not just you. We call it life. Everybody's going to go through it. Just be okay with it. He ridiculed us. He said bad things about me on Facebook. He ridiculed the Jews before his associates in the army of Samaria saying, what are these feeble Jews doing? Can they restore the wall by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rebels? Will they, will they, will they, will they? All these questions. You know what happens when your life gets confusing and complicated? You tend to not do the thing that God called you to do. You know why? How most of these people get into your life and cause you to get confused and complicated? They ask you a bunch of questions that doesn't matter for nothing. Not one of these questions mattered. Not one of them. If you're wrestling with questions in your life, one of the things I'll ask you is, does it matter does it matter? Does the verb tense on that one, ver that one word in that one verse, is that going to change your life if you get it figured out? Can we please keep the main things as the main things and the priorities as the priorities? Then Tobiah the Ammonite who was beside him said, even if a fox were to climb up on, the, climb up on what they are building, it would break down their walls of stones. So then you know what you got? Folks making fun of you. Well, I don't want to be an open Christian in public because people will make fun of me. Um, think about this statement. That a fox will climb up on their walls of stones. If a fox climbs on a wall of stone and it fell down, it wasn't a real wall, y'all. So the only way that people can insult you and get you off of what you have, it's because it's not real. Yeah. It's fake. You know how many people have fake Christianity? Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Oh, the clock. I can't even finish it tonight. All right. Part two. All right. Next week, part two. <laughs> All right, we got four people coming. It's a good message. I don't know why I thought I could do this. <laughs> Ryan's laughter was the highest. I, I bet you when I handed these notes back there to... Mitchell, Mitchell was probably, yep. <laughs> you know, it's great to be surrounded by people that believe in you. Like Ryan and Mitchell. He can do it. We believe in our pastor. Nah, he's three pages of notes. <laughs> We're either not eating lunch or he's going to have to stop. So we will have part two. But man, I got to tell you, Nehemiah. 
If I see one of you clapping and you're not hearing it. <clears throat> this, this book, Nehemiah, has just exploded in my heart over these, these last two years. Because there's so many parallels. So I'm encouraging you, please go in here, man. You could go verse by verse and just pull out these deep, rich, powerful truths because there are so much that is exactly the way it is right now. And we're going to go through more. I'm not trying to exit out of part two, but I'm saying between now and then, please, please read it. You can read the book of Nehemiah in an hour. And, and so I'm, just, I'm asking you for one hour of homework, and then when you come back next week, you guys be like, yeah, that verse, preach it. That's my favorite. Hey, Matt. All right. I need to go eat some sugar. And meat, and meat, Lexi. And meat. We'll have some meat, some carbs, and some peanut butter. Amen. All right, please rise. Let me bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.